0: I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here. I want to welcome you and invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn in it to Jonah chapter 4. We're going to dive in there in just a second, but before we do that, I want to give you a quick update. Um, As you know, we've been receiving a special Christmas offering. Uh, We've been trying to pool our year-end giving to be able to make a significant impact on the city, and we want to rescue children who are being sex trafficked here in San Diego by giving to generate hope. Uh, We want to raise up and train and reach hundreds of college students uh, and equip them to be leaders in the church and in the city uh, through campus outreach. And then we've been needing to replace some of the equipment um, that Catalyst Church is taking away from this space. Um, And so we're going to improve audio, visual, bulletin, communication stuff. Um, And uh, and so we've been trying to raise $30,000, and I stand here excited to report that we are at a little over $29,000. And so it has been amazing. You guys, yes, that's worth clapping for. Um, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for uh, for giving. Thank you for praying um, for the offering itself. Um, we're excited. If you want to give, you still can. There's still opportunity to give. Um, you can give today. You can give online. Um, our website has If you choose the Christmas offering in the drop-down menu, you can give that way, or you can just write Christmas offering on a check if you want to do that. Um, In the next few days, we're going to continue to receive gifts. We know we have some other checks coming in, so um, we're close to that 30000 mark, and uh, and we're excited about what God's been doing um, as your generosity has enabled us to be able to make this impact. And so we'll give you a fuller report next week when all of the checks and the money come in. And uh, so that's exciting. We're finishing up Jonah, right? This was the Christmas series. This is New Year's now, but, you know, so we're kind of sort of stuck in between. But actually, as I was thinking about this, this is a good thing, because so often we we observe Christmas, we talk about Christmas, and then New Year hits, and we're like off to new things. And sometimes it's helpful for us just to be reminded that what happened at Christmas so long ago changes everything about all of life for the rest of our lives, including all of 2017. Um, For God to come to earth, for God to love us so much that he didn't just shout out, hey, get your act together from heaven, but he came to be with us. He came to rescue us. He came to meet us with his mercy and his forgiveness and his grace. Um, That affects me today. That affects me tomorrow. That affects me on Wednesday. That affects me this entire year. Um, For so many people... Um, resolutions come at this time. Um, some of you I know are making resolutions. Some of you are hell-bent against making resolutions because they're so frustrating. Um, personally, I love the idea of a fresh start. I love the idea of like saying, all right, hey, you know, let's try something new. You know, where can I lean? What can I do this year? Um, I love the idea of a second chance, you know, at, uh, at some things that fell by the wayside last year. Uh, for me, I, I love the idea of a 102nd chance, because that's, I think, where I'm at right now. Um, and, uh, and so the new year feels kind of like a fresh start, right? We haven't made mistakes yet. Or <laughs> we haven't made too many compared to all of last year yet, <laughs> right? Yeah, okay, we got a thumbs up in the back. <laughs> um, so Jonah is going to help us. Jonah is going to bring us Face to face with God and face to face with ourselves in a way that I think is going to push us to think about who we want to be this year and and even more than that, who God is making us to be this coming year. And so let me just give you a review of the story and then we'll talk about the exciting climactic conclusion in chapter four uh, and then we're going to talk about how this applies to us today. So that's where we're going. Um, So I want to just remind you, this will give you a, a brief overview of the whole story. Uh, Jonah was a prophet. He was called by God to preach judgment against the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh wasn't just any city. It was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria as a nation was sort of the world-dominating power back then, and they had conquered Israel. They had destroyed Israel. They had oppressed Israel and were exacting tribute from Israel for an entire generation, and they were wicked and evil. And God called Jonah to tell them, to announce to them that their time was up, that it was over, God was going to destroy them. Everyone in Israel was waiting for God to do this. Every prophet in Israel was dying for the chance to preach this kind of judgment against these particular enemies. But Jonah runs away in the opposite direction. So maybe if you've been here, you've remembered this map Jonah's in Israel near Joppa. Nineveh is 550 miles to the east. Jonah gets on a boat headed for Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles to the west. Okay, now, why does Jonah run away from the chance to preach judgment against his and God's enemies? We have no idea at that point in the story. Now, like any good shepherd chases a sheep that's wandered away, God chases after Jonah, but Jonah rebels against God and refuses to return. And Jonah literally chose death over obeying God. And so Jonah ends up being, he chooses to be thrown overboard on a ship in the open sea, chooses drowning rather than returning to God. And while he's drowning in the ocean, Jonah finally cries out to God for help. And then God responds to Jonah's desperate and undeserving cry by saving him through the miraculous shelter of a fish. And so Jonah ends up in the belly of a fish, and there he is so overwhelmed by God's kindness to him, as undeserving as he was, he is so overwhelmed by what God does for him that he worships God in the belly of the fish. And so the fish after three days and three nights, vomits Jonah back onto dry land. And then God comes again to Jonah and gives him a second chance. God recommissions Jonah, telling Jonah to deliver God's message of judgment. And this time, Jonah obeys God, goes to Nineveh, and preaches that in 40 days, God is going to destroy them all. Well, then the remarkable happens. The people of Nineveh believed God They confessed their evil ways. They changed their lives completely, every single one of them, from the lowest slave to the king himself. And they blindly hoped that if they returned to worship God, that maybe, maybe God would forgive them. And this, again, this would be like if our entire country were to turn away from our worship of sex and money and power, um, and freedom not to have God or anybody else tell us how to live, right, if we gave up all of that, all of the country it 'd be like Republicans, Democrats, Hollywood, and Wall Street all leading the nation to turn from our evil ways and follow Jesus with our whole heart. This is what happened after Jonah preached judgment chapter three verse ten it 's actually in your bulletin. You can look at it there it 's going to be up on the screen. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so, of course God forgives, because God is gracious and kind. When people honestly come to him confessing their sins, God is willing to forgive them and give them a second chance. And God forgives also because this actually is God's destiny for his people. Okay, God chose the nation of Israel. He created the nation of Israel so that they would bless others. In the Bible, it's always you're blessed to be a blessing to other people. God wants his people to share about himself with others so that the whole world can see God in their lives, so the whole world can know who God is. And Jonah is living this out. Jonah preaches God's message, and God is using Jonah to bring the greatest nation on earth at that time back to him. And this is honestly one of the main points of the Bible coming true. One of the themes is for God to renew his relationship with the world. And this is happening. This is happening. And so if you're Jonah, you're like, how amazing must this feel to be the one? To be the spokesperson when God has turned the most powerful nation on earth around and they are now worshiping the God of Israel. I mean, how amazing must Jonah feel? Well, chapter 4, verse 1 tells us exactly how Jonah felt. We'll see this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord. So this is Jonah's reaction. He's angry. He's angry. And and the Bible comes in muted language sometimes. Um, Sometimes the writers of the Bible don't want to get too excited, don't want to get too bad. And so so this phrase, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Doesn't quite get it. Uh, Like, even in the original Hebrew, uh, it could be probably better translated, to Jonah, it was this incredible evil. I mean, he believes that what God has done wasn't just wrong, wasn't just a bummer, but it was evil. He is angry. He is fuming with rage. The one good thing about Jonah's anger is what he did with it. Okay, he actually went to God. He told God that he was angry. He prayed to the Lord. In his anger, he prayed. I know that you're like me. We deal with anger. We get angry sometimes. We get frustrated. We get bitter and in all sorts of different directions you know, for all sorts of different reasons. And Jonah is here showing us that the best place for us to go with our anger is to go to God, is to pray, because it gives God a chance to respond. It gives us a chance in the moment to imagine what God has to say to the situation that we're so angry about. There are times when we do this when God is actually on our side and he is even more angry than we are. There are other times when we're angry about things and God comes alongside us and says, You know what? Hold on a second. I don't know that you're seeing this the right way. And sometimes praying will catch us. Um, and cause us to stop, to see where we're at, find out that God's actually not with us. He's somewhere else, and God invites us to join him. Now, what's the deal with Jonah? Well, we're going to find out. What's Jonah angry at? He's surely angry at the sin of the Ninevites, right? He's angry at the overwhelming uh, evil that the Ninevites have committed. Uh, No, actually, Jonah, who's, who's Jonah mad at? What's he mad at? Jonah is mad at God. He's mad at God, actually. And verse 2 explains this. This is a rant from Jonah against God. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. So now the mystery is solved, right? Right? Jonah runs away from announcing judgment in chapter 1. We have no idea why. Well, now we finally find out why. Why is Jonah angry? Because he knew that God was going to do this. Do You see that's what it says? God, isn't this what I said when I was in my country? That's why I made haste to run to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it, God. I knew you were going to do this. Oh, God, you're a you're, you're loving, you're merciful, you're patient, you're kind. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. This is what he's saying. I didn't want to announce judgment on these people because I knew that if they turned around, you would forgive them. And I mean, as we sort of step back from Jonah's rant, friends, this is what God is like. I don't know what you think about when you think about God. I don't know what thoughts come into your mind. I don't know what kind of emotions well up. I know that for a lot of us, we've been hurt by life. We've been hurt by people. And and it's so natural for us to blame God for that. It's so natural for us to be angry because couldn't God have prevented that, right? There, there, there are things that we get angry with God about, but this is what God is like. So many of us think that God is quick to criticize. He's quick to find fault with us, but that's not God. That's us. We're the ones who are never satisfied. We're the ones that are always critical. We're the ones that always pick on people. We're the ones that, man, if there's everything that's good, we see the one thing that's bad and we bring that up. That's us. And that is not God. And so many people think that, that God is always angry, and the Bible says he's not. God is not actually that way. He's incredibly patient. God looks for every opportunity to not punish people. And so against our wrong ideas about who God is, this verse, gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. This is what God is really like. And I think this is great news about God, but Jonah hates God for it. And as we dig in to what's going on inside of Jonah, it seems as though God, Jonah loved God's forgiveness for himself. But he hated it for the Ninevites. Jonah was thrilled and even wrote poetic songs to God about how God saved him from the belly, or from, from, the, from, from drowning using the fish, saved him from drowning. Jonah chapter 2 is this hymn. It's almost like a psalm that Jonah writes, worshiping and praising God for all of his mercy and his slow to angerness and his grace and his abounding steadfast love toward himself. But when it comes to the Ninevites, Jonah says, God, you can't be this way. Underneath Jonah's anger is is a racism He is against the Ninevites. He is against the Assyrians, Um, but also a vengeance. There's a vengeance there where it's, we can understand some of it. They've done this to us. They've hurt us. They have uh, abused us. They have destroyed us. They've maimed us. They've killed our children and our wives and our families. I mean, so there's an understandable vengeance and even somewhat of a righteous vengeance there but there's also a sense of self-righteousness. Jonah is acting like he deserved something that they didn't. And I think that helps us. And Jonah is yelling at God, um, but he's not really listening. He's made up his mind. And verse 3 shows us that. Verse 3 says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is Jonah at the end of his rope. And He's been there already once in chapter one. This isn't just a childish rant, although it seems like that, right? There are times when uh, this caricature, this this telling of the Jonah story in this aspect, you know, could be helpful for us because it would keep us from going on these sort of rants. But this is Jonah literally saying, If I have to share your forgiveness with them, then I would rather die than live in a world where you are like this to them. That's what he's saying. And so for us, it might not be the Ninevites. You might not be so wrapped up in the story of Israel and Assyria that for you, you feel this way about Nineveh like Jonah did. But who is them for you Um, in your life? um, Who is out there that if God forgave them, you'd be angry? Who is in your life where if God were to bless them, you'd get kind of frustrated? Because they don't deserve that. In some conversations this week, I was just asking people, so I'd tell them the story of Jonah and the Ninevites, and, and I'd ask them, like, so who's them for you? And, uh, and, and just some of the examples that I got were anybody who seems to have life easier than I do. Because I've had to suffer for my relationship with God. Being a Christian has been difficult for me. And it really makes me angry when I see that so and so doesn't seem to struggle the way I have to. And so when God is gracious and merciful to them, I get frustrated. I was like, oh man, that that cuts that cuts that cuts it close. I feel like the, the them for us are the people in our lives that we think don't deserve what they're getting. And maybe another way to ask this is, who is it difficult for you to love? Like, for you, who is hard for you to be patient with? Who is it hard for you to be understanding with? Uh, the Bible uses the word long-suffering. <laughs> uh, it's a very, I think it's, it's a good term. Well, I think it's important for us as we think about these people in our lives it could be coworkers, it could be family members, it could be friends, or it could be acquaintances that you really wish weren't acquaintances, but you've got to see them for whatever reason on a regular basis. Um, think about those people and how you feel about them. And, and I want you to let God's words to Jonah speak to you today. Because what God says in, in verse 4, um, he's, his response, he says, do you do well to be angry? Which again, I think it's kind of a wooden translation. I mean, some of this could be like, is it right for you to be angry? Um, Or it it could be, is this life giving for you to be angry like this? You know, sometimes we say, all right, you're making these decisions. You've got this anger, this bitterness, this frustration. How is that going for you? is that producing joy and happiness for you? Or is it actually producing a controlling bitterness that won't let you go? Are you being consumed because you are so concerned with what they're doing, with who they are, and how could they possibly, and oh man, I can't believe that they're still, oh, how could they get this, and how could, right? And you become consumed by it. And God is here saying, How's it going? Like are you doing well to be angry like this? Like is this going well for you? Is this pathway of anger good for you? I feel like this response is so simple but it just trickles down into our hearts. And in some ways I think that God is asking Jonah, do you realize that you're acting like you're me? It's my job to determine when people should live or die. It's my job to bring judgment or even to relax judgment, Jonah. (laughs) Um, And then he's saying, do you realize that you're acting like you deserve my grace and forgiveness? And they don't. It's like God saying, hey, help me understand how this works, Jonah. Let's see. You deserve my grace, but they don't deserve my grace. This doesn't compute for me, Jonah. And so I think that these first four verses, they're a summary of God's conversation with Jonah. It sets the tone for the end of the Jonah story. Uh, And then verses 5 through 11, this last paragraph in your bulletin, it goes back over the story and it tells it in more detail. I was always confused because it felt like there were these two different conversations that happened. And until I realized, oh, wait, wait, wait. Hebrew literature does this all the time. They sort of tell the story in a summary fashion, and then they tell the story again with more detail. And so verses 5 through 11 actually are sort of a flashback of what happened before the conversation in verses 1 to 4. So verses 1 to 4 happen after Jonah realizes that God is going to be gracious to the Ninevites Uh, after the 40 days. But verses 5 through 11 tell us what happened during those 40 days when Jonah was sitting there waiting for judgment to come. Are you with me? So verses 1 to 4, and it's important for the author, he wants to to set it up early. He wants you to know where this is going so that when you see the details, you'll actually see what God is doing here. Otherwise, God will seem arbitrary and frustrating. And so, um, so let's walk through this. Verse 5, It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So Jonah's done preaching. He goes out to the east, sits down. He makes a booth, uh, which is like a a makeshift shelter. um, And he sat and waited for God's judgment to come. So for him, when the 40 days were up, Jonah expected to see fire and brimstone, sulfur, and just to, to rain down on everything and destroy it all. Well, so Jonah builds this makeshift shelter. And back then, I mean, you need to think about like this is out in the desert area. And so really all you had to build a shelter was rocks. That was all that was out there. Maybe a couple of twigs, you know, from like some... Uh, you know, some stuff, but just wasn't anything. If you've ever tried to build with rocks, like a, a shelter like this, which I'm sure you haven't, but if you had, you like, think about it. You're setting up stones, you're setting up stones. And the big problem is that if you're trying to build something that's actually going to provide shade for you, rocks aren't going to happen, right? This isn't like the, the arch in St. Louis, right? You can't like, you can't do that, right? They'll fall in, they'll cave. And so as much as you can do to build some walls and that isn't going to go very high, Um, you're in trouble because you have no shade. But then look at verse six. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And so the most important part of Jonah's shelter, the roof, was something he couldn't build, but God provided it for him. God appointed a plant. This was a miracle, just like the fish, just like the the, the wind. In the in the in chapter one, um, this was a miracle. It grew up overnight, and it shaded his head. Um, and Jonah was exceedingly glad. Which I think is kind of funny. Maybe this means that Jonah really is this sort of kind of flighty guy who just overreacts to everything, either negative or positive, right? Maybe. Um, but I think there's something more to that. I think that what's happening here is that Jonah knew that God provided this plant. It came up miraculously. And I think for Jonah, Jonah, remember, is going through this whole process of preaching with the knowledge that he's got this suspicion that God's going to be gracious to these Ninevites. He's worried about this, right? He doesn't want God to do this, but he's afraid that God might And so he builds this shelter, and then God miraculously provides the one thing that would mean the most to Jonah, which was shade. And so I believe that for Jonah, the shade of this plant meant that God was on his side. And so I think for Jonah, Jonah was convinced that this meant that, hey, judgment indeed is coming that God is still with me, he is on my side. And I think that's why he was exceedingly glad because I think in this plant that provided shelter for Jonah, this meant destruction for his enemies. And so he was glad about the plant. Then verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. Now, this plant life and death wasn't—it wasn't harassment against Jonah. Like God isn't just you know messing with him, um, but it's an object lesson to teach Jonah something about his heart and ours. Okay, this scorching east wind. I want you to think about what it would be like to be in the Anza-Borrego desert, you know, drive 90 miles out in late August. Okay, and then imagine doing that on a day when we have Santa Ana wind conditions. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. There are actually a name for these scorching east winds. They're called Scirocco's. Okay, they're called Scirocco's. And uh, I did some research on this. Let me give you a little bit of science here. Um, This is a constant hot air that is so full of positive ions that they affect the levels of serotonin and other brain neurotransmitters causing exhaustion and depression. Listen to this. There are actually some Muslim countries where crimes that are committed while a Scirocco is blowing sometimes moves the courts to assign a reduced sentence. So, I mean, this kind of behavior that results from... It's like people kind of go, oh, all right, yeah, but the Santa Ana winds were blowing. Like, we get it. We get it. It was difficult. We're still going to sentence you, but it's not going to be as much because we get it. We understand. And because of this, because of this, um, the next verse says, Jonah, Jonah, he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And so this is not an idle threat. Remember? Cause Jonah did this in chapter one. He literally chose to drown instead of choosing to follow God. Um, I got a phone call a couple days ago, actually. Uh, hello. It was a private number. I didn't know who it was. Hello. Um, and the voice on the other end of the line said, have you ever seen someone die? And, and then I recognized the voice. And I said, yes, why, have you? He had been walking along the path, um, along the 163 freeway where the Laurel Street Bridge is. And he said he just looked up, and someone jumped off the bridge. And he watched them fall and hit the ground. And he said, like, I just couldn't tear my eyes away. When they hit, I turned away, and I sat down, and I just sat there. And I said, where are you? Get over here. Let's talk. Um, and, and we just talked through it. This is someone who deals with depression, someone who deals with loneliness, someone who, deals with, who would be a prime candidate, and, um, and we talked through it. And so someone, I, I've been meaning to actually do the research to find out more of the story. I don't know if, it's, I don't know if it made the news or not, uh, but, um, but we just talked about how there are, are times when people get to a place when they believe it's better for me to die than to live. And it's not an idle threat. They feel like there is nothing for me to live for. And so this is what Jonah says. And God comes to Jonah in this place with his anger and his despair, his depression, his I don't know what to do with my life anymore. If you're going to be this way, I can't be with you. I mean, everything that Jonah wrapped his identity around as a prophet was to speak the word of God. And yet now God is being something that he could never be. And so he says, I'd rather be dead than be alive in a world where you're going to treat them this way. And God's response is to give Jonah the same grace, mercy, patience, and love that he offered to the Ninevites. This is verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And so God is inviting Jonah in. This is one of the things God does. He asks us questions. His favorite question for me is, Stephen, are we going to talk about what you did? (laughs) I love you. I'm here for you. I'm listening, but are we going to talk about this? Um, yes, God, okay. Do we have to talk about this? Well, I mean, is it going to go well for you if we don't talk about this? No. Your choice, but I think you're better off if we talk about this. Okay. Um, And so God invites Jonah in. Jonah hardens his heart, and then God speaks. And God speaks in a way that not only shows Jonah what's in God's heart, but he shows Jonah what is actually in Jonah's own heart. Like God reaches in and doesn't just expose Jonah's sinfulness and his selfishness, but he actually says, Jonah, there's something inside of you that actually came from me. And if we can identify that and fan it into flame, something, something amazing is going to happen in your life. Verse 10. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The God is saying, Jonah, you pitied the plant. And this word pity encapsulates all of Jonah's reactions, all of his emotions toward the plant, right? That pity included Jonah's delight in the plant's creation, his delight in the shade, and then his anger at the plant's demise, his disappointment in God for killing it and the frustration over it being gone, right? All of those emotions are wrapped up in Jonah's pitying of the plant. And God is saying, hey, Jonah, now you can understand. You have these feelings for the plant, now you understand my feelings for Nineveh. Now you understand my feelings for Nineveh. God is saying, I'm doing for Nineveh what you wanted me to do for the plant. He says, look, you didn't lift a finger or make it grow. You didn't, you didn't do anything for it. And yet, in some ways, I created Nineveh and I've been caring for it in significant ways. I've been hurt by Nineveh as it has left me and rebelled against me and perpetrated incredible evil. And yet they've come back. Jonah, the plant was only around for a day, but I have been watching Nineveh for generations. Shouldn't I love this city? It's an important city. It's a great city. He's saying, Jonah, look, my love filling this city can change the world their desire to repent and to turn to me their desire to fix the nation and make it a nation that honors me would have such a bigger impact on the world than to see them for the world to see this city burn in sulfur and fire god says there's 120,000 people there these are souls that are made in my image who want to return and be renewed these are people who want a second chance they're trapped in their troubles. They don't know how to get out. They don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know what they're doing. And then all the cattle, like all the animals. I mean, this could be that God says, look, even the animals are alone, alone are worth enough. If the plant is worth pitying, then the animals are worth pitying. Um, but I think even more than that, back then, God had used animal sacrifices to turn the cause, like to turn our brokenness, to turn our sinfulness into a nationwide feast. And so I think God is saying, look, this cattle is going to become the place. These cattle are going to be offered up and sacrificed to me as I actually renew a relationship with these people. And so these animals represent... Sacrifices and apologies, they, they represent real turn, real change in their lives. And so for all of these reasons, these things make Nineveh worth so much more than a one-day-old plant. And for us, God would say the same thing. For the thems in our life... God is saying, look, instead of destroying them, instead of crushing them or doing away with them, I would rather them come and experience my forgiveness and my grace. I would rather them experience through you my steadfast love and my grace and mercy. The book ends abruptly here with this question should I not also pity Nineveh? And the question echoes in the silence because not only did Jonah need to answer this question, but Israel at the time needed to answer this question. All of God's people needed to answer this question of how would they respond to their enemies? And this question has continued to echo down through the generations. For thousands of years, this question continues to come to people like me, to people like you, where God is asking us, should I not also pity them? Shouldn't I? Haven't I pitied you? You didn't deserve it. Should I not also pity them? Let's pray together.